Uh, good morning, everybody. It is great uh, to be with you guys. And um, as I was thinking about what we're going to talk about today, I remember a time when at the top of a notepad, I wrote the words, no hope, question mark. And I had written that after I had a marriage meeting, marriage counseling meeting with a couple who um, the, the, the problems in their marriage were so severe and so deep set. I just like, I just, I didn't, I, the, the question mark was, can I have hope for them? And I, I don't, I didn't really at the time. And then, you know, I prayed, I didn't know what else to do. I was praying for them and they came back the next week and um, the God had worked to begin to open up the gifts of brokenness and humility and desperation for them to where when I had been saying, man, are you willing to try to do what God tells you to do or, or, or just willing to move that direction and see what happens? They finally said yes. And, uh, and they worked hard and they said no to other things. And um, I just got to watch God do things that grew my faith. I just, I just, I, when, when, when they just put themselves in God's hands, they put their marriage in God's hands, um, and they just be, began to obey in a, in a, out of humility and, and, and just kind of, you know, two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. They're still married, and they have a powerful testimony uh, that when God redeems brokenness, when there's been damage in a relationship and God he fixes it, he fixes it at a level of, of intimacy and power and depth that is greater than you could have imagined before. And so now, like if I were to write a note uh, like on there about them, I would just say, how is that possible, question mark, because I've seen God do extraordinary things, which is why um, I love what we get to talk about uh, today in our, our training camp time. Uh, this is a, a couple of weeks where where we um, set some time aside to, to talk about some biblical principles about relationships, particularly as related to, to marriage and family. And um, one of the things I, I want us to know in this, I want uh, married people to know that about this and not married people to know about this, is one of the hidden assets that God gives to encourage marriage are people who aren't married. So if you're here and you're not married and you're thinking, well, this isn't about me, it really needs to be about you. Uh, you, people who aren't married have an ability to notice things in marriages that married people don't. Like I know for a fact that uh, so some of the best accountability partners I've ever had from my marriage were men who were single. Like, cause men who are married would be like, yeah, man, I get it. It's so tough. You know, and the, the, the single, the single guys are like, dude, what are you doing? Right. And so they're, they're, you know, I mean, and they see, so uh, if you are, if you are uh, single, I want you to know you're really, really important. And if you're married, I want to encourage you to find somebody who's not married and ask them to look at your marriage and speak into that. And if you're single, I want you to know that the insights you have about marriage are probably a whole lot more important than you think they are. And so I want us to, um, want us to work together on this. Another thing I just I want to make sure everybody understands, uh, when we talk about marriage, particularly if you're not married, I want to make sure everybody understands that God does not withhold blessings from people until they get married. Okay? Some people believe that. That's not true. That there are blessings God gives to people who are devoted to him as single people that are as good as any blessing he gives to people who are married. I'm getting to see this play out in the lives of my three adult children. Uh, my oldest one is uh, unmarried. He's 30. His name is Taylor. Uh, my younger two uh, are married. 
And um, I'm not going to say that Taylor's life is more blessed than the other two. Um, but, but I can just say that, that his life is unusually blessed. I mean, when he talks about what's going on in his life, I'm just like, oh my goodness, what in the world? And so he's, got, he's not hurting for blessings from, from God as a single man. And, and one of the reasons for that is because he doesn't see singleness as a problem. He doesn't see singleness as a bad thing. He sees singleness as an opportunity for him to do things married people can't. And he, you know, he... He doesn't. Uh, he, he sees this as a way to really enter into some fun things that he can then tell married people about. And so uh, he's really enjoying a lot of, of the blessings of singleness. And so if you are not married, I want you to know they're there for you. And then uh, he and I both read a book called The Emotionally Healthy Leader by Peter Scazzaro. And in there, there's this section that we both liked that I, I want to just pass on to you guys that I think speaks well to marriage and singleness in the church. And this is what uh, Peter wrote. Uh, He said, every Christian has the same primary calling or vocation. Uh, We are called to Jesus, by Jesus, and for Jesus. Our first call is to love him with our whole being and to love our neighbor as ourselves. For the first 1,500 years of the church, singleness was considered the preferred state and the best way to serve Christ. Singles sat at the front of the church. Marys were sent to the back, right? That's amazing to me. I thought about doing that today, Um, but uh, (laughs) I think it would be a little awkward. Um, Anyway... He goes on to say, married couples bear witness to the depth of Christ's love. Their vows focus and limit them to loving one person exclusively, permanently, and intimately. Singles bear witness to the breadth of Christ's love because they're not limited by a vow to one person. They have more freedom and time to express the love of Christ to a broad range of people. Both married and singles point to and reveal Christ's love, but in different ways. Both need to learn from one another about these different aspects of Christ's love. And so as we, as we talk about marriage today, uh, one of the things I'll, I'll, probably, I'll say now, I'll probably say again at the end, uh, the, the thing that, whether you know it or not, the thing that you really want from your marriage is the ability for your marriage to make the perfect but invisible love of God visible in and through your marriage. That's what you want, Okay. Whatever it is you think you're looking for in your marriage, what you're looking for is God to make his perfect, invisible love visible in and through your marriage. And and it requires single people and married people to work together to help us see and appreciate the love of God in bigger ways to be able to really enter into that. So um, that's kind of what we're after today as we talk about marriage. And um, so the approach I'm going to take, I think I'm going to talk about four things kind of overarching things the Bible says about marriage. And then I'll talk, tell you just about one thing that Cynthia and I do that's really helped us in our marriage. And so the four things I'll talk about first is the gift of marriage. Then I'll talk about the glory of marriage. Then I'll talk the grind of marriage. And then I'll talk about the grace of marriage. And if when you hear me say the grind of marriage, don't assume you know what I'm talking about because you probably, you're probably thinking about something different that I'm talking about. But we'll talk about that uh, later. First of all, we're going to talk about the gift of marriage, which I think is really, really good. Um, if you ever heard me do a wedding, some of the gift stuff will be, uh, you'll have heard before because I love being able to talk about this at weddings. And, uh, and one of the gifts of marriage that God gives us is the gift of meaning, okay? So meaning is your ability to know your life is important. Meaning is your ability to know that, that there's a really important reason for you to be in this place at this time. That's meaning, And meaning comes from the depth of our relationships. And so for those who are not married, that meaning comes from the ways they connect deeply to a broad range of people. 
But when you're married, that meaning comes from the depth of the relationship and the connection you have with the person you are married to. Because God has designed marriage to be the deepest relationship we have with anybody else. Because that's his design, marriage is what he uses to bring meaning into our lives at a greater depth and with more power than anything else. Jesus described marriage in this way in Matthew 19, 4 through 6. When he's answering a question about marriage, he said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Some, Bible, some of your Bibles will use the word cleave there, cleave to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, so they're no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, God has done this, let not man separate. There's a whole lot here, and I don't have time to unpack it all. But the, 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 the things that are said here, that God has joined two people together in an inseparable soul-level way. And when he talks about holding fast, like that, that phrase you trace out through the Bible talks about a, a deep, deep connection and, and then becoming one flesh you, flesh. you trace that through the Bible, and that is uh, the deepest, most intimate kind of relationship there, there is. And so uh, that is what God says, that's what Jesus said about what marriage is. It's very deep, it's very powerful, and, and what he does through the depth of that is he brings meaning into our lives. Let me just give you a way. Let me just tell you how this happens, though. The way that God brings meaning into our lives through marriage is through is sharing challenges and difficulties together. Okay? We all know this. Uh, when, whenever you have gone through something hard with somebody else, the sense of meaning you have in the relationship with them is much deeper on the other side of that difficulty than on the front side of that. Right? So God is going to do, he's going he's to send you two together and the difficult things as a married couple. He's going to allow difficult things to emerge in your life that kind of would threaten to, to separate you if you don't kind of get on the same page and work against that. But he's going to use challenges to bring meaning into your life. He's going to use sacrifices he forces you to make to honor him and your marriage to bring meaning into your life. And if you need a picture of that, I think a great picture of that uh, is the very powerful example that Cynthia and I got to see uh, face to face from a, a man named Robert Simcoe who walked with his wife Muriel through the last stages of her life as she lost her life to Alzheimer's disease. And he describes the sacrifices he had to make uh, and, and the difficulty and the challenges were involved with that. But the deep love and the powerful meaning that all of that brought into his life as he was faithful to his marriage vows, he was faithful to her, he was faithful to what God wanted him to be in his relationship with her. And so that's, a, I would encourage you to read this short book. It's a very powerful book. Um, so, so meaning is really significant, and, and meaning is also tied to intimacy. This is the same kind of deep connection that God uses for meaning. He also uses to create intimacy, and intimacy really is the ability for us to have the confidence of being fully known and fully loved. All right? that's, what God, that's how God loves us, and God wants us to know that. He wants us to experience that. God is not a God who says, jump through hoops to earn my love. God is the God who says, I love you. I know, I, know, I know more bad about you than you know about you, and I still love you, and I want you to know that. And the closest human proximity we get, the person that God uses more than anybody else to convey that love to us, if you're married, is your spouse. 
And so through your spouse, because of the deep intimacy of, of marriage, God is able to use your spouse to encourage you, to strengthen you, to help you, to equip you in ways that, that nobody else can do. And that's because your spouse is going to know better than anybody else what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, what your brokenness is. They know the things you're trying to hide from other people. They know what you're trying to hide from you, right? They know all of that stuff, right? They know, they know the button that if it gets pushed, you're going to hit the ceiling, right? They know that button and they push it sometimes just to check and see if it's still there, right? They, they also know, we do that. They also know how to kind of soothe, calm you down, how to encourage you, how to help you. So, so, so they have this enormous, powerful ability to be used by God, to encourage and to heal and to protect uh, they, they are able to kind of hold together the grace and truth and love that we talked about last week. And so there's tons of good things that come with, uh, with intimacy and marriage. But you also need to know this. There's a dangerous side too as well. Like, in- intimacy is extremely powerful. And, and because of that, no two people can do more good for each other than a husband and wife. But at the same time, no two people can do more damage to each other than a husband and wife, okay? And if you let the power of intimacy go the wrong direction, it's going to be enormously damaging to you and to your marriage and to the person you're married to. And so I just need you to be sober-minded when it comes to just how powerful the intimacy that God has already put in your marriage. So you need to prioritize cultivating the gift of intimacy and the way God wants you to. You need to prioritize growing in your ability to let God show up through you to show love to the person you're married to. You need to prioritize going to God, your, your spiritual connection to God with, with, with your spouse. You need to prioritize like getting on the same page with God about why he's given you this gift so it continues to move in a positive direction and not in a negative direction. Sadly, most of us have seen people at later stages of their marriage, and it is not good. Don't wind up there. Don't drift. If you drift, that's where you're going to go. You're not going to drift in a good direction. You're going to drift in a bad direction, okay? Um, and so spiritual intimacy is a really key part of this as well. And, and one of the, there's, there's really great things that come with spiritual intimacy. So, so I think all of you, I just, I just want you to hear this. Like some of you are like, this is the, the one spiritual thing you do together. I really want to encourage you to expand that. I want you to kind of learn how to expand the spiritual intimacy you have in your marriage, because there's some really, really, really good things that come with that. Uh, and three, the three really good ones, the three best ones are faith, hope, and love, right? So in first Corinthians, 13. Uh, that's the chapter on love. If you've been to a wedding, it was probably read, right? So it's the great description of the love of God in the first part of that chapter. And then kind of like the takeaway from that is verse 13, where it says, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And these are these great gifts that God gives us within this uh, spiritual intimacy we have with him that we share with other people. And so let me just kind of tell you how, what the faith part is. Like, like faith is comes when you've got, uh, t- if, you're, if, they're bo- if you're both Christians, it's really great. But faith comes when somebody is able to know that God is alive, he is with you, he is active, and he is inviting you into something good, right? So faith says, I believe that. I want to go with him. Like, I, I, I know he's doing really good things here, right? So, so what's amazing about faith in a marriage, when both people believe this about Jesus, their faith doesn't just add together. Their faith actually multiplies. And this is what I've seen. This is incredible. I, I've seen this 
in big ways and little ways. The, the, I think the, it's the most visible when a couple is facing some kind of shattering, life-shattering tragedy right, that they're, they're navigating. But this, this is in, in lots of levels. But here's what you see. So you're facing some difficult thing. And one of the two looks back on their life. And they can see a time, they think about a time when they saw the faithfulness of God that enables them to have faith that God is still with us today, all right? Next day, they don't have that anymore, right? Something changed, right? But their spouse looks back on their life and sees a place where God has demonstrated his faithfulness to them. And he's like, oh, no, 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 he's with us. I saw him do this. I know he's with us there, right? And, and so then the other one's like, you know, I got, well, I look back at this, right? And so they're both able to see ways God worked in their past before they were married to prepare them for what they're, they're seeing now, right? So, so each of them is equipped in, in, in a kind of thing that allows them to have faith in the present before they got married. And when it dawns on them, wait a minute, God, God has set up your past and my past before we knew each other, brought us together in a way where our faith is overlapping in exactly the way we needed to overlap to deal with the thing that we're dealing with now. And you're like, we, he knew all along. And it just multiplies your faith. And it's an amazing thing to see. And it's a very, very powerful gift. Very, very tr- precious thing uh, that comes from, from us being able to have these experiences with God that give us faith in the present that he's with us no matter what, all right? And here's what's great about faith. Uh, The great thing about the gift of faith is it brings the gift of hope with it because hope is faith directed toward the future. So hope says, right, uh, hope hope is I, I know, I believe that what God has for us in the future is really good. I can see through the, the, the difficulty of the unknown. I can see through the questions of the unknown future. I can see through all that and believe God has proven himself faithful. God will prove himself faithful when we get there. I want to move forward. I want to I move forward into what God has for us. And we move forward with joy. That's what hope is. And here's, here's the cool thing about how that works. So kind of like how faith works where we look in our past to see God's faithfulness and that helps us in the present. Hope works like this. What God does in the present through hope is he gives the husband and wife different ways to look ahead with joy than the other one. So like if you're like, so as you look at this uncertain future and there are always threats in the future, right? And so one of them is intimidated by those future threats and the other one's like, I don't know, I can see, I can see what God can do. I can see how God might be leading us in a really good way, right? So, so that's like day one, like day two, they can't see it anymore, but the other spouse can see it. And they're like, I oh, know, I can see, I think I can see that, right? And so of the two of you, one of you always has hope and that's the kind of multiplies hope moving forward, which keeps you all moving forward together in this really powerful way, right? And so so faith and hope are great. But then like, here's where the fuel comes from to keep moving forward uh, out of hope into the future. The fuel is love, right? The fuel is the gift of love. Right? Now, don't confuse the gift of love. Because a lot of us, when we hear the gift of love, when we think about marriage, we think about the wrong thing. Right? We think, we've defined, a lot of people have defined the gift of love in marriage as this romantic love for the person that you're married to that meets all of your needs and gets better throughout your life, right? We're like, that's the gift, right? You're not going to get that gift, okay? So just, I'm just letting you know, there's, don't put your hopes in that. There's a better, there's actually a better gift than that. Because here's, let me tell you what, even if that, even if your spouse gave you romantic love that met all your needs and got better throughout your life, they're still finite. And your soul was made for an infinite love, okay? So there's a better gift than that. So here's the gift of love. The gift of love is the ability to know 
that a, an infinite level of love exists that can fuel you and your relationship with your spouse into whatever the future holds. That's the gift of love. Here's how this works, right? Uh, we, we have sort of this ability, this emotional capacity to kind of feel loving toward our spouse. And everybody who's been married for more than two days has felt that drain, right? We just felt that go away. Like there's nothing left in the tank, right? Like, yeah, no. And so, so you just, we just know, like we, we want, we'd want it to be, there's just not there. And so, you know, what do you do? So the great thing about the gift of love is God says, don't worry if your tank is empty, mine's full. Like I, I, God has an infinite amount of love for your spouse, an infinite amount of love for you, right? So in the journey of your marriage, when you run out of the gas of love that you have, you go to God and say, God, I need you to give me your love for them. I, I, I need you to give me your love for me and for them. And when you begin to see, when you get used to the fact that God says yes to that, when you get used to the fact that God is able and will give you his love for your spouse when you don't have any, and then you realize, like, that's the, that's the infinite gas station over there. Like, it's never, that's never running out. Like, there's never going to be a point where God says, yeah, I don't got anything to give you either, right? You, you, you can go with confidence anywhere God wants you to go, knowing that wherever, whatever the future holds, God is going to be able to provide the love I need for the person I'm married to, right? Which, which then, what does that do? That increases your faith, right? And then what does that do? Increases your hope, right? And then what does hope do? Moves you forward, fueled by love, right? Tons of fun. All right, so that, 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 those, are the, those are the gifts, some of the gifts I have for marriage. I can talk about that a lot, but I'm going to, I'm going to switch. I'm going to switch to talking about the glory of marriage. The glory of marriage is really, really, really good uh, because our marriages have this enormous significance because of the unique way that the relationship of a husband and wife reflects the glory of God. So let me show you some of the first words spoken about marriage, which is in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, which says, then God said, let us, plural, make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. All right, so here's what you're seeing. Some of what you're seeing, there's a lot here. Um, you see a Trinitarian God creating humans in the image of a Trinitarian God. So while every one of us individually is an image bearer of God, the image of a Trinitarian God is most clearly seen through the relationships of image bearers. All right? And the most unique relationship uh, that reveals the glory of God in a way that nothing else does is the marriage of a husband and a wife, okay? So, so the husband and wife, the depth of that relationship, the way that it works, the way that you've got another Trinitarian cycle here, you've got the Holy Spirit in the marriage. So you get God and the Holy Spirit in the husband and the wife. So you got God, husband, wife in a, in a triune relationship, right? That is a, something that reflects the glory of the triune God unlike anything else we know of that's ever been created, Right? That's a huge thing, right? Uh, that one of the things you need to know about that is because marriage so uniquely and powerfully reflects the glory of God, whatever hates the glory of God will attack marriage, right? So don't be naive about that. Like, like there is, when you move into what God has for you, when you, when you, when you let the glory of God radiate through your marriage, you're going to have some pressure against you on that. So um, be ready for that. Be sober-minded about that. 
But another way, here's another thing. One of my favorite ways, or one of the most significant ways that uh, marriage helps people see the glory of God is it helps people see the way God relates to people. This is really cool. Like, like the, the husband, a relationship with a husband and wife is used in the Bible over and over and over and over again just to explain this is how our relationship with God works. So if you've read through the Bible, you, you have probably seen, actually more than you know, pictures of how marriage is used to talk about our relationship with God. Let me give you my personal favorite picture, all right? Um, in, the, in, in the first century, in a Jewish wedding in the first century, uh, there would be a bride, she'd be at home, the groom would come and get her, and then she'd be led out to the groom, but she'd have a veil over her face. She could not see her face, right? And so she is led out to the groom with a veil over her face, and so she gets to him, and there the wedding ceremony is performed, and then when they are declared husband and wife, the first thing the groom does is he lifts the veil, okay? And what that is saying is the face you of the woman you now see is not the face you used to see. The face of the woman you now see is the face of the wife of the man who just married her. She's not who she used to be. She's his bride. And the first time you see that her face is him staring in delight at her and her looking back at him. All right? It's a beautiful thing. All right? So, so with that in mind, look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. Okay? And we all, Christians... With unveiled face, we are that bride. Jesus is the groom, and he lifts the veil on us as someone new. We're not who we used to be. Uh, we are now the one who belongs to Jesus. And so beholding, we now look at him, and we look at him looking at us with love, beholding the glory of the Lord. So we, we see who we belong to. We see how great he is, right? So as we see that, this is what changes us. We are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What transforms us is us looking into the face of the one who's made us his own, the one who came for us, the one who got us, the one who's, oh, I love it. Uh, and then it says, for this comes from the Lord who is spirit, which means even though this hasn't happened in a physical way, God through the Holy Spirit is doing that with us. That's how God sees his relationship with us through the Holy Spirit right now. And that's what changes us. Like that to me is a beautiful, beautiful picture. And marriage is able to reveal all kinds of things like this. And so, so marriage has the ability to just express the glory of God in a really, really powerful way. So that God gives gifts to marriage, and, and marriage reveals the glory of God, and it's really, really good, okay? But some of you are here, and you're in a season right now where you're like, no, not mine, right? You're listening to this, you're listening to the gifts of marriage and glory, and you're like, that, that's not, nope. Uh, maybe if I'd married somebody else, that'd be mine, but that is not mine, right? So I know that some people are, are in, that, in that spot. So here's what I want to tell you right now. Uh, it is possible for you not to feel like you're trapped in a bad marriage with your spouse never changing. As you hear that, it is possible for you to feel very differently about your marriage, to no longer feel like you're trapped in a bad marriage, even if your spouse never changes. 
And, and one of the things that's, that God does inside of this, inside of the difficult things in marriage, and listen, marriage is difficult because marriage is a, a lifelong soul level relationship with two sinful people who are pretty self-centered, right? And so there's challenges in that. And God uses those challenges to change us, to refine us, to mature us, to grow us up. And, that, and our maturity is the thing that will impact our marriage more than our spouse changing ever will. Right. So, so, so let, me, let me talk to you about the grind of marriage here real quick. I want to make sure you don't see this in a negative way as much as possible. So I brought my salt and pepper from my house. Okay. Um, now, Cynthia, when I did this, she told me she wanted y'all to know that I'm the salty one and not her. So anyway, so this is, this is like, so if I'm going to use this, if I'm going to put this salt and pepper on something, what am I, I going to do? Am I going to like unscrew the top and pour it in my hand and then like stick it on the chicken? Am I going to do that? No, that's gross. No one would do that because then we did BC. You would, I would know. That's we all know not to do that. What we do, we grind it, right? So we turn it upside down, we grind it, and then like what's cool about this is, if any of you ever done this, but with salt and pepper, if you grind it really, really fine, and then you mix it really well, and you taste it. It doesn't taste like salt or pepper. It tastes like something else. Like, I don't even know what it is, but it's really good. Um, and it, it is, but it's, it's a really different thing. So here's, you know, we all, we all know that the Bible says uh, a husband and wife are to become one flesh. We don't really think a lot about, like, how that works. How does that work, right? Here's how it works. It works by God grinding down our immaturity, our self-centeredness, and refining that in ways that changes us and allows us to mesh better with the person we're married to. So more and more, the two of us become one flavor instead of two. But that comes through this process of God using the trials in our lives, struggles in our lives, even the fact that we're married to another simple person to, 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 to put us in a place where there's a ton of pressure and on us to grow. Right? Because here's the thing. Whenever, this is true for any area of immaturity of our life. Right? Uh, immaturity is always going to stick us in a place where we don't want to stay. Right? And so, so like when you think about your marriage and, and you think about like all of the things that's happening in your spouse's, you know, all, all, of, all the reactions like that, that you feel like you are, man, what they do just makes you angry. What they do just makes you feel um, just neglected. What they do just, you know, it's you're, you're embarrassed or you, know, so you feel suffocated, whatever. You, you, you can add it. Just don't say it out loud. You can add whatever it is uh, that you like you think really troubles you, right? The real cause you're really that dis disturbed or troubled by your marriage is not what they're doing. The real cause is your own immaturity. And the real cause is because you have yet to learn how to respond to them in a way that's really healthy. Like you have yet to learn how to respond to the things they do uh, in a way that, that, that really speaks truth and love in an effective way. Like you've, you've let yet to learn how to have the kind of boundaries that will protect your relationship in your marriage, that will actually create growth in your marriage, that will actually keep you safe in your marriage. That, that, so this is a thing that's important for you guys just to kind of hear. A lot of people think that unity looks like having no boundaries. That's really not it. Um, unity comes from having good boundaries, healthy boundaries. So true unity comes from two people knowing where they begin and end, Owning for themselves what they feel, what they do, and then and then court and then coming together as two kind of whole people connected together. Like if you don't have the boundaries, you just keep you keep messing all that up. Right? Um, so so one of the so for us, 
whenever, whatever pressure there is, whatever challenges are in our relationship, here's what I just need you to hear. What God is telling you in all that is not your spouse needs to change. What God is telling you in all that is that you need to grow up. And here's what's so good about that. What's so good about that is you no longer have to be passive. Like, you no longer have to say, they're, they're driving me crazy. They need to change. You can say, they're driving me crazy. I need to change. And I can change, right? So you have the ability to make a difference. You have the ability to, to no longer have to kind of be, be passive in this. And, um, and I can tell you too, as somebody who's been around uh, marriages a long time, I have seen a spouse. I've seen spouses do this. Uh, I've seen spouses who have changed and their other, this person they're married to is not. And the person they're married to just stayed grumpy and antagonistic and just like, I'm like, oh man, that's brutal. And I got to see their spouse mature in ways where they remained gracious and wise and safe and truly loving. They did not let the attitude of the person they're married to set their own emotional temperature. I mean, it's, it, and it's powerful to watch. And so that's a really that's an important thing. And that's something God's going to work on all of us in. God is always going to be maturing us to the pressure he puts us in by being married to somebody who is a sinful person like us. Okay, But there's another thing that God is going to change uh, that needs to change in, in our marriages that he's going to use kind of the grind of being in a lifelong relationship with another sinful person to change. And that's this. We all have very childish and immature expectations for our marriage, okay? Let me just prove that to you. How old were you when you first envisioned yourself being married? How old? How old do you think you were? Like five, 40? Like, where was it? I don't know. So like, like most of us, most of us, it was, we were kids, right? We envisioned ourselves being married as children, right? So not only were we praying, playing pretend at that stage, guess what else you were doing? You were laying the foundation for your expectations for marriage. That's what you were doing as a child when you were thinking about being married, okay? Some of those expectations you started forming as a child, you formed in response to hurt or disappointment as a child, okay? So then you took those child-level expectations into your teenage years, and you just warped the heck out of them, all right? So that teenagers is what you're doing right now. And so, so like, like so, so, and then you bring that into marriage, all right? So now, now, think, now think back to little you, okay? Like, how many of you would take financial advice from you as a six-year-old? Like, I wouldn't. I, I know little me. I would like, no way. That dude... He, he, anyway, so, so we're not, so I think that's a bad, a bad idea, right? So, uh, so we, we got to be able to recognize at whatever age you are, you have brought expectations into your marriage that you developed as a child. They're immature, they're childish expectations, and they need to change, right? So, so you may be thinking, I was a very mature child, so I don't think that applies to me, right? So let me, let me, let me give you a thought experiment. This, this might be helpful for some of you, not helpful for others. But, but think, about, um, think about the expectations you have for marriage and, and just ask yourself, how many of those reflect who I was as a child? Can you do that? You don't have to do that now. But think about, think about what you're expecting from your spouse and ask yourself, am I really expecting them to be what I was like as a child? 
Right? Some of y'all that will help you, some of y'all wouldn't. Anyway, um, but, but we, all of us have to be able to get rid of our, our childish expectations and replace them with actual re- expectations, and this is why. Uh, mature expectations. Romans 12.9 says simply, let love be genuine. The problem with our shallow and immature and childishly sentimental expectations is that they don't lead us to genuine mature, grown-up love. And God doesn't want that for you. God wants you to be able to have a marriage that reflects the depth of his love in and through your marriage. God wants you in your marriage to be able to reflect his perfect love to one another and to others. And our childish, immature expectations will not get us there. So we have to let those be ground down. We have to let those be replaced uh, by the grace, uh, by, by, by God's expectations. And part of how that works is by the grace of God, okay? That's the, the fourth thing I want to talk about. Here's also what's really, really good news for us in this, um, is that if, if you're a Christian, and especially if your spouse is also a Christian, uh, the grace of God is active in your marriage, and, and this is what's really great about that. You may look at your marriage, and you may be like, I just don't know what to do. Guess who created marriage? God created marriage, right? So if God created marriage, he knows what to do with it, right? Guess, guess what else God created? You, right? Guess what else God created? The person you're married to. This is pretty fun, right? So, so the God who created marriage created you, created the person you are married to, knows exactly what marriage is, knows exactly who you are, knows exactly how all this comes together. In fact, the God who created marriage, you and your spouse, is also the God who is love, Like, he is the definition of love. So he knows perfectly what love is, and he wants that to show up in and through your marriage. So uh, he wants to help you love them. He wants to make his love visible through you. And and if you are also a Christian and your spouse is a Christian, the Holy Spirit is at work in both of you to lead you to that. But even if it's just you, the Holy Spirit knows who you're married to and is able to work in you in a way that will bring glory to God. The Holy, if if you're married to somebody who's not a Christian, the Holy Spirit is not stumped by that problem. Okay, You can follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit in a way that will transform your response to your marriage and your marriage as a, response, as a result of that. Okay, And so um, here's the other thing that's so good about this. Uh, one of the aspects of the perfect love of God that he wants to reveal, he wants to make visible in and through your marriage is that perfect love casts out fear. I love this. Right, this is one of the most powerfully important things to me about what the Bible tells us about marriage is that one of the things that God is after in your marriage is to put you in a place where you're no longer afraid. He wants to use your marriage to take away your fear. That is one of the things that makes the invisible love of God powerfully visible to us, and to others. We live in a very fearful time. One of the ways we can help with that is by entering into what God has for us in our marriages to reflect the love of God that casts out fear. Let's not miss a chance to do that. Okay? So uh, let me give you then, if, if you're willing to try to move in a direction uh, that helps you. Let me let me just tell you what Cynthia and I have found really helpful. So I don't know if this will be as helpful for you as it is for us, um, but um, I want to just 
go through what's been really helpful for us. So find a white sheet of paper that's on a seat. It might have been on the seat when you sat down. Uh, there should be a white sheet of paper around you that um, will have a list, uh, just words on it. And the top, go to the part of the page that says marriage meetings on the top. It's probably the one that's got the most printed on it, all right? So, so let me just take kind of what's been super helpful for us on that sheet of paper, there is what we call a needs meeting, there's a staff meeting, there's a date night, and there's a reading meeting on there. And so um, I'm only going to talk about the needs meeting because you guys can figure out the rest pretty easily. But here's something that's been super helpful for Cindy and I. But a couple times a week, we will we'll pray, and then prayer is part of this, but we'll, we'll ask each other five questions. And the five questions are, what, what's been positive for you this week? what's been painful, what's been hopeful, what's made you angry, and what's made you joyful. So uh, Cynthia will ask me first what's been positive for you. I will say what's been positive for you. I'll ask her what's been positive for you. She'll say that. Now, one of the rules about this is we don't talk about the marriage, okay? So when she says what's been positive, I say I'm married to the most wonderful woman in the world, and that's really positive. I don't do that, right? Because if I get to the fourth question, that becomes problematic. So um, Everybody looking at the fourth question like, yeah, you know. Um, and so, so it's, it's what the goal of this is, is for you to get good at understanding the interior of your life and for you to get good at expressing that to the person you're married to or whoever you're doing this with, okay? So the goal is for like, like when we first started doing these things and Cynthia would be like, what's been painful for you? I'd be like, oh. Right? I was just, you just don't, I mean, it's, I hadn't, like, I never thought that. I never asked myself that question. Now that we do this twice a week, we typically do it on Wednesdays and Sundays, um, I'm like, I'm tuning into making a note of what I'm feeling because I know I got to tell her one of them, right? So, so it's helping me be more aware of what's going on in my interior life, and it's helping me be able to, to express better to Cynthia what's going on. So we go through these five questions. We don't talk about the marriage. Here's the other thing we don't do. When, when she or I answer one of these questions, we don't belittle that or fix that or correct that, okay? So like when I say what's been hurtful for you, painful for you, and she you know, tells me that, what I don't say is, well, that's dumb. I don't do that, okay? It's heads up, don't. That's not a good thing. It's not going to help you, right? But nor is it going to be, well, you should, right? I don't then do the like, let me fix this for you. Don't do that, right? All this is is us understanding. All this is is us being able to to see what's going on here. Now, if you're an overachiever, right? And you know, you know who you are. Like if the overachiever question on this is when they tell you like what's been helpful, when they answer one of these questions, the overachiever will say, tell me more about that. Right? Isn't that good? Right? And so then they like tell you more about that. So, so that's a really, that's what you're allowed to do to tell me more. You're not allowed to be like, that's dumb or let me fix that. Okay. So that, that's what we do on those five questions. Then after that, we pick, you have a list there of 12 emotional needs, or what I call emotional connection points. And, and these are like emotional needs God has given us intentionally for us to take that need to him. All right? So, so you'll see that list there. All, we all need these things. And ultimately what God wants to do is bring that to him for him to meet that need. And if you're married, your spouse is, is, is interwoven into that. So here's what we'll do. Uh, so we'll pick like this. We did this on Wednesday and I told Cynthia I need understanding. That was the one I picked. Um, and so instead of what I didn't do is I didn't say, okay, now Cynthia, you better make me feel understood. I didn't do that, right? That's not what you do. You don't take this and dump this on your spouse. I just acknowledge for whatever reason I, I, need, I need to feel understood. 
And so what Cindy and I would do in that is we take that to God and we just say, God, help. She, she prays that God will help me feel understood. And then as much as she's able, she will, because she loves me, she'll enter into trying to help me feel understood. But, but she's not like, I'm not like saying, if I feel misunderstood, it's your fault, right? I'm, if, I'm, not, I'm, not for, I'm not putting her in the place of God and saying, you better meet this need for me. I'm just acknowledging it and giving her a chance to enter into that, right? Does that make sense? And, and, so, so, and what else it gives us a chance to do is it gives us a chance to celebrate with each other when God meets the needs that we talked about having. And, and then when the need drags on and like God doesn't seem to be meeting it, we get to empathize and share the burden of that and continue to bring that before God. And so, so those are things we do. So like, again, see that I do this twice a week. You can do this every day. You can do this if you're not married. You can do this with your friends. This is really good. You can do this with your kids, which is really, really good. But, um, but this is one of the things that's really good. Let me, let me just kind of wrap up why this is so important. I think this kind of exercise in particular is really important because when God is working on your marriage, he's usually doing it in a pretty deep way, right? And so the better you are at kind of understanding what's going on in the deeper interior part of your life, the better you're going to be able to notice what God is doing in you as he's working on your marriage with you. And, and the better you're able to talk about that as a couple, the better you're going to be able to enter in together to the things that God is doing for you. That's why I think this is important, okay? But prayer is the most important thing, so let me pray for all of us in this. Well, Father, I just, I just want to thank you for the gift that marriage is. And when we think about all that you do in and through it, it is, it is really an extremely good gift. Uh, God, I also want to thank you that you give gifts to people who are not married that are as good as marriage, that are as significant, as weighty. And so I pray that you help us all to, to recognize with gratitude the gifts that you have given us. And, and God, thank you for the ways that you put us together and, and help us walk together with whatever kind of gifts you've given us. I thank you for our, our brothers and sisters in Christ that are married and unmarried. Uh, and thank you that we can pray for each other. Thank you that you hear our prayers. My goodness, when I think back to the, the, the biggest changes I've seen in marriages, I, I can think about the prayers that were prayed, and I thank you that you have been faithful to prove that you will hear and answer prayers about marriage. And so, God, I do ask this. This is what I'm going to ask for all of us. Uh, I ask that you will bring glory to your son through our marriages. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.